was newly married, and my manager said, don't do stand-up, because if somebody sees you and you, you bomb, they're going to be like, I can't believe this girl got a deal at CBS. From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there, and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's episode of No Limits, comedian and host Heather McDonald bringing us the juicy scoop, taking us inside the complex world of comedy. It's a tough gig, and she tells us how she's navigating the ever-changing industry to be more successful than ever. Heather McDonald, welcome to No Limits. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited you're here. Love your podcast, The Juicy Scoop. Thank with you. With Heather McDonald, you're the host. You're a comedian. You spent many years, I got to know you on E! on Chelsea Lately, right. back when you were on the round table there. And I wrote and produced that show from the beginning. Congratulations. So I was there every day for seven and a half years. So that's why I missed the juicy scoop of the Chelsea Lately life. And so that's why I started the podcast two years ago. And you have, I mean, listening to your podcast, you, you have a, a dedicated private Facebook page. Yes. Are you, are you, are, oh. I'm not, I'm not on it, but I'm, I'm actually kind of scared after this conversation. I hope that the people, if there are people who happen to be listening, who are on that invite only Facebook page for the juicy scoop, which juicy you approve. Scoop obsessed. Yes. You approve the, the people who are there. Well, and then some of the nasties that I've had to kick out, um, <laughs> then started their own group no. with my likeness. So people join it thinking it's like a pro Heather group, but it's not. Oh, it's wow. called Juicy. It's I won't say the Wait, names. It's yeah, called something else. Don't even give them that. I won't publicity. even say anything. But um, but you're aware of it. Yeah, and then it's like if somebody, someone's like, sorry, you know, they're saying nasty stuff about me, or they didn't like the guest, or they didn't like something I said on the podcast, and they're ripping me apart. And I'm like, goodbye. Like I kick them out. And then someone's like, God, she doesn't like the criticism. No, I really don't. Like it's my <laughs> Facebook page. Why do I want to go on there when I'm working so hard? To have someone rip on me, I'm like, no, I really don't. Like, I like it for people, uh, Juicy Scoop Obsessed, you can post funny stuff, you have a sighting, you want to get advice from the people, you have a funny story to share, you want to repost something from TMZ so we can discuss it. That's what the page is for. It's not for you to say, you know, you didn't like my opinion on one of my podcasts and you're going to try to pick it apart and make me out to be like, you know try to find something I did wrong. And they think they can like get me fired like I'm on CNN or something. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not Brian Williams, you know. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing you could do. Like, this is my own shebang. And that's what I love about it. And you're creating a community out of the whole thing. Oh, yeah. It's so great because when I have live shows, whether it's live stand-up or a live podcast taping, sometimes people are like, I don't have anyone to go with. And then someone's like, I'm going. Let's meet for drinks. They're like making That's friends. Cute. That's, That's sweet. I know. It's like my own eHarmony. You know, it's like my own dating <laughs> you, site. Are you, platonically. Any, are you aware of any marriages that have come of your, your fan page? No marriages come, but we do have one Juicy Scoop uh, baby in utero. That she shared her fertility struggles, got pregnant, and she keeps showing, like, the ultrasounds and stuff. And she's like, my juicy scooper. And, like, <laughs> everyone's, like, so excited. Is she naming the baby Heather? I hope to God, because you know Heather is in jeopardy of going extinct, the name. It's, and you're working on that. I'm working on it's getting... another one of your personal it's missions. one of my charities. It's <laughs> Heather's for Heather's, keeping Heather's hot for generations to come. Where we encourage attractive women who are caring girls to name them Heather. 
So we won't be like Gladys at the retirement hotel. <laughs> Were you always this funny growing up? You grew up in San Fernando Valley. Woodland Hills. Woodland yes. Hills. Okay. I, I'm not from California. So is that is that, is I, that a differentiator? You, you know have what? to be clear on this one? It's it's basically Calabasas adjacent. It's Calabasas without the gated communities. It's that's where it's the, that's the closest. So now when I'm out, I do say Calabasas because people know Calabasas from Kardashians, Justin Bieber, you know, all those people live there. So that's like my my son is going to go to Calabasas High School. Like that's we're very close, but we're not technically I'm not Calabasas. I'm still Woodland Hills. And your parents were realtors in the real estate they game? Were, they were real they were in advertising. My dad was a big advertising guy like straight out of like Mad Men. Like they met they were he worked at McCann Erickson. So when I'd watch Mad Men, I was like, "Oh my god." Like and, um, you know, he uh, so then he said when he got to a certain age, he's like, this is a young man's game and I got to get out. So he started doing real estate with my mom and they were like those they were one of the first couples to kind of really make. Now you see them all the time. But I mean, like nobody was like a couple before them. And they they did bus benches in I was California. Say, you have bus benches. So they have yeah. their picture next to each other on the and bus on shopping bench. carts. Yeah. <laughs> and then I would like deliver pumpkins to each house soliciting listings for my parents I would find out who is possibly moving in the school and tell my mom so that she could look up the number in the uh, directory and try to get the listing it was so that's why when I exploit my children now I say I (laughs) I had to work for my parents too like at least you're not delivering pumpkins or if I was a farmer you'd pick corn so if I want to you know put my 11-year-old son in a blonde wig and have him reenact Dorinda's clip-clip scene from Real Housewives of New York, he's going to do it. He Does he do that willingly? For $20. Yes, he does. 20 bucks for an 11-year-old. 20 bu- he doesn't do a lot of takes. He's not that professional. <laughs> but I do, I do, do it. Yeah, now he knows. He walks in, he's like, which one is me? Okay, is there anything I, you know, now he wants to do it all the time because he wants to make the money. They're extremely cheap. Both my sons are cheap and want to save money and make money. So they want to go into business? They just, as, as easy as they can make it. Well, my husband's very cheap, so they're, they have the cheap gene. So it's very disturbing because, do you guys have Costco here? We do, yeah. Okay, so Costco is my family's favorite place. And my son, he's go- leaving Catholic school, okay, and he's going to the Calabasas High School. And I'm like, we got to get you some real clothes. You've worn a uniform since you were like three, okay? <laughs> and he's just like, no, I just want my Kirkland jeans. I just want my Kirkland jeans, which is Kirkland. That's is the Costco the brand. Designer. The yeah. private label for Costco. Yeah. And I'm like, can we at least just do like a Ryan Seacrest collection, something like at Macy's? Can we just up your game a little? Like, he's a babe. He's like six one. He's tall. He's thin. He's just like, nobody cares. I'm like, uh, they're going to care at Calabasas. Like, I go crazy because my husband would make us like share a fountain drink at a Panda Express. <laughs> But we do not worry about money, and we do have a nice, you know, 401k. Okay. And I want to get to that in a minute. I also think it's really interesting. I read you kind of were on the path to do business originally, or you, your parents instilled this in you. You were thinking about going that way instead well, of comedy? when you're raised in where I was, so you're surrounded by people in the business, um, but not the wealthiest people, like the guest star the under the line guy that's like who was at our school what does like the, the under grip. the line guy mean the underlying guy, cameraman you know uh which is great but like you know not it wasn't like i was going to start to school with movie stars Got so it. but we would know a couple people that had an agent like a kid who had an agent like we'd come home and be like oh my friend you know or that's so and so we'd see someone in commercial and um so 
I started, you know, I was always funny. My parents were always like, you're funny. And then at my all-girl high school, it was a really great environment to, like, get to find my comedic sense because I wasn't intimidated by the boys. So um, I had already gotten into USC, and I was just going to do communications and business. Because for some reason, I thought, like, being someone like you, like, or doing, like, reporting on the news was going to be easier than, like, being an actress, which I don't even think it is. I think it's all hard. So you should just go for what interests you. And um, so, I agree with that. Yeah. So I just was like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be a waitress at 27. I don't want to be, you know, after you pay $100,000 for my education. Right. You know, I want to be able to make my own money. And I did this, like, one um dramatic thing at the school and my parents are like why are you sure you don't want to switch your major and I was like no I'm gonna run a corporation I don't know and then when you I, wanted to run a corporation I don't know I just figured like I'd be like I wanted to wear like a hat to like a business meeting like I don't know I just was like <laughs> I just thought I'd be like making the money and that's and then but then I would get really jealous of like anyone that was in my sorority We'd always had like, you know, a couple girls who had an agent or a modeling agent or whatever. And they would, I'm really dating myself, but they'd have a pager. So if you were, <laughs> if you had a pager at USC at that time, you probably had an agent. And that made me very, very jealous. And I was like, I'm not pursuing my dream as I should. And so not till I got out of school and I did get my first job. I went to the job fair. Because I was like, I want to make sure I have enough money that I can live in my apartment in Brentwood with my three friends. Like, I don't want to live at home. Like, it wasn't cool to live at home. If you lived at home, you were the biggest loser. And so... Um, so you go to the job fair. I go to the job fair. I get the job. And the re only reason I got the job is because I saw my friend coming back from the job fair. And I go, what do they ask? And she told me what they asked. So then I knew. And then I knew to ask the woman who was interviewing me from Human Resources. And I said... So what made you get into this amazing field of human resources and finding the greatest candidates for your corporation, your company? And she was like, nobody had ever asked her about herself, and um, which is an amazing thing for everybody to do. Like yes. when my nephew tried to get in, well, he did get, he went to a, a prestigious uh, school called Loyola Marymount in um, L.A. It's a Jesuit school. It's very hard to get into all boys. He didn't really have the grades. So I told him that. I said, you know, when the priest interviews say, and what made you decide to not only be a priest, but go with the Jesuits, you know? And <laughs> like that is the key people need to know. When you're interviewed for a job, ask the person they want to talk about themselves. That's it's great advice. And yeah. nothing is worse, by the way, than when the person interviewing you for a job. And I hear this a lot from, yeah. from women who are running companies on this podcast. If they say, OK, what are your questions for me? And you say, well, you've answered all of my questions. No, you should always have a question. That's why I miss dating, because a first date, you get to hear your life story over and over again. You miss that. Yeah, I like to. I bet I would... a lot of people listening do not miss that and or are in the middle of the dating thing. And they're like, I've heard enough stories at this point. I, I know. Really I'm obsessed with people dating today because it's just I've been married for so long and it is awful out there. I will I sympathize with the the people in their 30s and under. It is awful. I mean, I hear this. <laughs> so now I feel, um, you know, in raising my kids, we're actually people my um, who have kids my age, which are my stepdaughter 17 and my boys are 14 and 11. We were taught to raise our kids differently than the parents who have millennials. Mm. And the parenting classes I went to was like they already knew that the millennials were having issues in that 
They think they're the greatest people in the world. They think they're the most important people in the world because everyone was like, you're the greatest. So I actually went to a parenting class that says, tell your kid you're not that special. And put there's on a lot of wig. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of talented people out there. So you're going to have to up your game if you want. So is that how you parent? Yeah. Tough love? I say you're not that great. Did you ever tell them they are great? I say, yeah, I say you're funny. And I say, I, but I do say, I, what I'd say to them is I go, look, you have, these are your talents that not everybody has, you know? And I tell all three kids, I go, I will parent you differently. Do not, they, they never say, why does that person get that one? Because I'm like, I will. Mm-hmm. Like if one of my sons is, you know, making millions off of some app and my other one is a firefighter and the firefighter needs a down payment for the home and I want to give him $100,000, I'm not going to then call up my millionaire son and go, and let me make sure I also give you a hundred, like, you know, that whole feeling of like, when there's lots of siblings, there's so much jealousy in my family growing up, of like who gets what and then, I, and I'm like, no, every, I can, it's my thing and I can raise my kid, you know, if someone needs to come home and the other one doesn't, it's not like, why does that person get that? And so I say like, these are your talents. Like both my sons are really funny. Um, one of my sons has definitely got the math gene. The other one did not. The app maker. Yes. They, they, the other one did not. So, you know, I'm like, he's going to have, you know, so he's going to have to study a little more, but we're going to cultivate the other talents because he'll probably be in sales or be a comedian or be a writer or something. You know, he's not going to go to medical school. None of them are. Let's be honest. <laughs> I want to talk about the path to becoming a comedian. This is something that truly, genuinely fascinates me because I think of it as, I I mean, I hope this doesn't come across in the wrong way, but it's like it's filled with rejection. And you're literally constantly putting yourself out there. You could be in a room filled with people who you're you're right in front of them. They don't laugh at you or they boo or whatever. Or they get offended. Or they get offended. Right. So how, first off, in the early stages of all of this, how did it begin for you? It began because I hated the job that I got after I complimented the girl. I was an assistant buyer at a major department store, but it wasn't what you thought. It wasn't like I was looking at fashions and being creative. You were looking at numbers and spreadsheets and stuff like that. Which I'm not good at. And I was like with two like bosses that were just like, one girl, all she did was like talk about what kind of Saturn she was going to buy her car. And it was just, just dismal. And I was like, I can't be this. Like, I can't, like, I can't talk about if you should get a four door or two door anymore. We've been talking about it for six weeks. Like I just, uh, so anyway, I, um, my friend who was also doing the job, was like, you need to take this one night class. It's called this, learn. they used to be a magazine called the Learning Annex. And it was like, right? you know, sometimes it was a six week course. Maybe it was one night, like on a Tuesday, go after work. And it was this woman and she was really doing the class to solicit people for like her six week class. So it, it was about how to be a stand up. And I'd been thinking about it since I was a little girl. Like I would watch Joan Rivers. I, my parents would watch, you know, a&E Evening at the Improv, don't mean to brag, but we always had a pretty good cable, cable package. You know, we always had like a lot of channels and we also had a second fridge with soda. Okay, so just... Oh, wow. I would love, I would have loved to hang out at your house as a kid. We didn't have that. Well, I'm not too much soda. I don't do soda anymore. We don't have it now. But like growing up, that was the bang. Like anybody could come oh, wow. over, you know, and then TVs, a lot of TVs. We would watch TV while we ate dinner. After Grace, but we'd watch TV. And so, you know, it wasn't the typical, like, I mean, it was it was probably a little more chill 
for a family that's in the Catholic schools area. So anyway, um, I went to the class and the and I was like, now I understand because people used to tell me, even my music teacher in high school was like, I don't understand why you're going to college. You should just be a stand up. And so people always told me that. Some people become really successful stand-ups and it was like their secret, you know, nobody even knew they were funny. But like I was constantly told that and by my parents too, which I don't know one comedian who said their parents encouraged them to do stand-up. Yeah. So it's like, but again, I wasn't coming out of a family of doctors, you know, <laughs> and I was like the youngest and so they were just like into You had, me. what, four siblings? Yes, I'm okay. the youngest of five. And um, my parents said, very honest, like, you and your sister were mistakes, but you're great surprises. I guess my mom went on the pill when the pill was newer, and her friend got a blood clot, so she went off the pill and then oh, had no. two more kids. All right. I mean, she didn't die. She just, okay. it okay. made my mom nervous, sure. even though she was breaking the, you know, doing a sin by having, being on the pill. She just, so then she had the two more. Then my dad found a priest in San Diego that would bless a vasectomy, and he went to San Diego, and blessed his vasectomy and then stopped having kids so that was the stories i was told at like six years old so there wasn't a lot of <laughs> like filter yeah for, there wasn't a lot of like, days okay you know so anyway i um so i started to to do the class and i started to do it and i remember i said to my friend i was like i don't know maybe i'll get into casting or something and she said everything in in media is so hard just do the thing that you really want to do don't think that like producing a tv show is going to be easier than being the star on it it's all going to be a hard path but so it you know and it took a really took so so hard to get an agent so you go to the learning annex i do the learning annex i do the i at the end there's like a little recital okay so it's at six weeks and everybody that i tell i'm doing is so excited so there's no way i can flake because a lot of people in the class the night came and they were like forget it i'm not doing it and i did it and um I had my little seven minutes, you know, and it went really well. And I tell people, too, if that ever want to do stand-up, like, make your first time successful. Like, try to make it as successful as possible. If that means doing it in class or going or inviding friends. Because if it's horrible, you may never do it again. Invite a crowd of people who are going to help make you feel good about the whole thing. Just have it be like a nice experience. You don't have to go to some, you know, sick bar where, you know, I don't know. Then, Then you'll have some other times that aren't so great. But... So it so, goes well. So it goes well, and then I just and then I started to pursue that, pursue that, and I enrolled in the Groundlings Theater, which is sketch and improv around the same time. So I did both stand up and sketch and improv and writing. So when I decided I'm going to be an actress, now I've been out of school for not even a year. I said, "Well, I got to be a waitress, right?" Exactly what I said. <laughs> I didn't want to be. You have to be a cliche. So I go and I go to Carol O'Connor's place. He had a restaurant in Beverly Hills. The actor. And because, of course, I want to be at like some she-she place. And I lie and say I put myself through USC working at my brother-in-law's restaurant. And I never worked there a day in my life. I didn't know how to work the computers. (laughs) And this guy gives me the job. And I'm awful. Like every day I'm horrible. My heart's beating. And and then the day of the 94 earthquake, that Monday, I was going to call and quit. But the earthquake happened and the restaurant closed. And so then after that, so you never had after that, I just worked for my parents. I already had my real estate license and they're like, we need so much help, like putting our house back together after the earthquake. And, you know, and so then they're like, just you can work for us and you can go on auditions. You can leave whenever you want. So like I'd be like preparing a listing appointment with my mom 
and she'd be like running lines with me and we'd like I'd go to the listening appointment then like run the lines with her then go to an audition or I'd be like I remember I was at a home inspection which is what you do after you're in escrow and the guy's like didn't I just see you and Malcolm in the middle last night like it was <laughs> that was my you know instead of being a waitress that was my job so you were very lucky I was very lucky like to most, live in LA yeah because a lot of people also said you can't you can't start being a comic in L.A. That's where you come after you've done it for six years. Mm. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Move to Florida? Like, so the way people Would have, you have done that if you had to? I asked to move to Florida. I told my dad, I go, I think I should go to Florida. I heard they're like filming a lot there and it's going to be more opportunity. He's like, you're insane. He's like, you're already here. Like he understood. I, I didn't realize like how hard it is to. I've never Work lived anywhere else or just find places. an apartment or find yeah. a friend like and. So, yeah, I didn't have what comics have here where they can get up in six times in a night because there was never that many places to do stand-up and it was hard to do and you had to bring the people. But somehow, um, you know, I got to a place where I, you know, got my agent, got a job, started to get, you know, some work and stuff. How does all of that work behind the scenes? Just the the hustling and getting clubs to even put you in the club for the night it's, and selling drinks and getting people to come in and all that part. Like, were you one of the people? Do they do this in L.A.? They do this in New York. If you're in, if you're a stand-up comic. The barking. Right. You go yes. out on the street mm-hmm. and you basically corral people to come in and buy two drinks. I don't, there's not people corralling people because L.A. is so spread right. out. But you do, if you want to do a show and you're starting out. There's, at least in my day, and I believe it still is, it's like, let's say I'm going to produce a show and I'm going to do it at this little restaurant that's, I I find a spot or a bowling alley in the bar or whatever. So every Wednesday night, it's Heather's Comedy Night, you know, and people start calling you wanting spots. And so you might be like, okay, but you got to bring four people, you know, and then I'll make sure. And then it's really, and then people would, oh, my people are coming there. Oh, they just, I just, they just flaked. And I was like. No, my always, always, my people, whether they were my personal friends or now the people that come to my show, they are always on it. They always buy food. They're like always buy the top shelf alcohol. They're delights. Their credit cards go through. I have like a classy crew. So I'm like, if my friend got a freaking sitter, you're, you know, I'm going to get up there and you're not going to make them suffer through eight people just because they're the only people here. Like, get me up. And so there were times where I was disrespected like that and I... And I stopped doing stand-up for a while. I had a moment where I was just like, forget it. And I was still in the business and still doing, you know, a writing job here, a pilot here, whatever. And then, um, and not until Last Comic Standing started, that show, I realized how much I actually missed doing stand-up. Because I never was like at a level where I was getting paid to do it or anything. So then I wrote like a whole new act about my life now, which was married with my kids. And I started doing it again. And then... um, and then I reached out knowing that Chelsea was doing a five-night-a-week show. I felt at my age, because I was in my mid to late, well, I was 36 when the show started. And I was like, um, Chelsea Lately. Chelsea Lately. And I said, if I don't get a real job now in the business, I will never be able to get one. And um, because I'd been, at, been doing the mom thing and not been like a staff writer or anything in a really long time. So I reached out to her and and I think she was sort of surprised because, um, you know, we, we would see each other at auditions and stuff. So I think she was like, oh, really? You'd want to write on? Like, you don't want to, like, try to get your own? You know, I think it's – and I was like, no. Like, I know your comedy. I would love this. It's pop culture, whatever. And so I got the job and they were like, told me what I'd get, you know, and I was like, okay, you know – 
13 week commitment. And I was like, okay, then it'll get canceled. So I'll just have to have my nanny for every day. And I felt very guilty about that. And I, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to leave Brandon. He's only one and a half. And my other son's like four. And um, I'm like, I just don't know if I can, you know, be away from them all day. And my friend goes, in 10 years, you're going to walk through that door and those boys aren't going to look up from their Xbox and you're going to go, I can't believe I gave up that opportunity. And so she was right. They need to look up from their Xbox. But I do want to encourage women because I feel like, you know, just it's like who's to say when the most important time is to be there all the time, you know? But I think doing what is what you having a passion and pursuing it. Yes, you will miss stuff. Yes, I miss the poetry thing. Yes, I, you know, I, the memories, I like can't remember them being that young. Like, you know, I, because it was such a busy time. But that was the only time, that was the only opportunity. And just like when I was doing Chelsea Lately, I was like, well, now that I have a Chelsea Lately, this is when I have to get a book deal. So now on the weekends, I'm writing a book. Yeah, like I would have loved to have written a book when I had all the time in the world, but no one was going to give me a book deal then. So, you know, no one was going to ask me to go perform on stage when I was just sitting at home being the cute housewife, you know? So it's like, and um, yeah, and I have a lot of guilt, you know, and I I had a joke. You have guilt. Oh, yeah. Still. Um, less now because now my life, I do, I am around more and I, and they are doing well, my kids. And, you know, my husband was so great. He's never once told me, don't go on that gig. Don't go out on that girl's night. Like he just was so confident. And now he, he, now we're more of a team. Like he really helps produce the podcast and help me with everything. And it's really grown. And and now with that, I actually have more time to do things. I don't have to miss the golf tournament that my son's in. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to be scared that I'm late driving onto a lot. Like, so, you know, but if another opportunity comes up, that's really great. Like, I would love to act on a show and those hours are going to be strict. I'm still going to take it, you know, because those opportunities just come. And, you, you know, that's why I always would get mad when someone would be like, oh, I'd never leave my child. I'm like, as if... Someone offered you Kelly Ripa's job. You'd be like, I've got to be the one to drop off Johnny. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Like, you know, I understand it's easy to give up your job when you're selling boring insurance. I get that. And your husband does well enough. Go for it. But then I don't like it when women criticize working women as if they don't care enough about their kid. I'm very appreciative of the stay at mom, the stay at home moms that do run the school. You know, mm-hmm. I am like. I and I've had those moments where I I said I want I'll I'll volunteer for something and I absolutely forgot <laughs> and forgot. I I for just like forgot yeah because it's not part of my thing and I and something happened and I just like and I like someone's like where are the plates you know and I forgot to bring these plates and I was having like a lot of like a lot of things going on personally and professionally. And I immediately wrote the girl back, and it was already too late. The lunch mm-hmm. hour was gone. I was like, I'm so sorry. So I go to this, I go to Costco to do some shopping later. You know, I already missed the plates. And this woman comes up to me, and she's like, you are in a lot of trouble. You didn't bring the plates. And I just burst into tears. And she's like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's so not your fault that you approached me today, but, like, I just forgot the plates. But so then I come home and my son is like, 
oh yeah, mom, everybody, all the moms are coming up to me saying that you forgot the plates. I'm like, what the you know, like really? Yeah. And he goes, and we didn't even need plates. And not to put anything away from those women because they're awesome and we wouldn't be able to have our school. But it's like, just don't be so judgy. You know, right. it's like just like everyone has their own path. And I always say everybody's doing the best they can. Yeah. Do. And I'm always like, let's all meet up when our kids are 30 and see how they are. Because your kid may be killing it right now and playing chess in second grade. But like, who knows where it'll be at 25. So it's just, I just feel like, yeah, you just do the best you can. I- I'm really curious about along the way, the biggest surprises and the toughest lessons for you, in, in, especially in stand-up comedy. Well, biggest surprise is, um, I would, I, okay, here's something. More No Limits on the way, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of today's episode, Blue Apron. Incredible ingredients make incredible meals. That's why Blue Apron partners with a community of over 150 artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, sustainable fisheries, and responsible ranchers across the United States. Thanks to these partnerships, Blue Apron is able to deliver fresh, seasonal, perfectly portioned ingredients with easy-to-follow recipes right to your door for under $10 per meal. Log in each week to select the recipes you want to cook or let Blue Apron choose based on your food preferences. With Blue Apron, there's no weekly commitment, so you get the deliveries when you want them. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. When you cook with Blue Apron, you bring the best ingredients to your table while developing a sustainable food system for future generations. Join the growing community of Blue Apron home chefs today and get your first three Blue Apron meals free, plus free shipping at blueapron.com slash no limits. That's blueapron.com slash no limits. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I'm really curious about along the way the biggest surprises and the toughest lessons for you in, in especially in stand-up comedy well the biggest surprise is um I would I okay here's something sometimes I get nervous in the beginning like um I used to do stand-up with this girl and she was very funny and she had a really funny little bit on herpes commercials and she would kind of say if you got herpes you know and she said kind of say something like joking but like you're dirty da 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 so I had a couple friends who had herpes and I did not want them to ever see that joke because I'm thinking like a Christian and like that would hurt your feelings and wouldn't you be embarrassed if you had herpes and someone's talking about herpes so one time I go on stage and I realize oh my god she's going on before me with a herpes joke and I looked out at my two herpes victim friends <laughs> And they were laughing harder than anybody. And I was like, you know what? I can't worry about that. So, like, I can't worry about everybody in the audience. And now when I do my shows, they're over an hour long. So I'm like, even if I touch on something that it could spark a memory or something, they know who I am. They're buying tickets to see me. They know by watching me in an hour, I am a good person. I'm not a racist. I'm not homophobic. I'm not, you know, anything. There are people tra- constantly trying to point fingers at comedians to get them, you know, to say, you can't say that. And you can't, you can't, you can't. Well, then don't come to the show because we can say what we want. And, are and- there lines that should absolutely never be crossed? I don't think there's any lines that should never be crossed. I think... You should be smart as a comedian in 2017, and you should weigh the joke and what it might cost you. Um, like in the case of Kathy Griffin, you know, 
I mean, there's times I I come up with the best thing and I'll text it to like my five comedian friends and I say, I wish I had the to tweet this, but I won't because I'm not an idiot because I know exactly I'll get, I'll, I'll get some retweets and I'll get some love. But if for some, if because it's too strong or too edgy or not PC, I don't want it to keep me from getting a job and I don't want to bat. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. Then you have to apologize. No tweet is worth it. What does bigger look like? Not what does more case. successful look like to you? I'd love Juicy Scoop to be uh, a TV show or if it's a digital show or something where more eyes are on it. Okay. I'd love to get to a place where ABC asked me to do um, <laughs> the Battle of the Network Stars and, <laughs> you know, My Family's on Family Feud. No and Limits is a great step in that direction. I, I agree. I, why do you think I'm doing it? <laughs> yeah. Like, I miss... You know, I, when I was on Chelsea lately, you know, regularly, I do miss not being, I do miss not being on TV regularly. Um, I like getting my hair and makeup done. You know, it's nice. But it's also amazing that by not being on TV, I've never sold more tickets live. I've never made more money. Podcasting I really, is an incredible way of truly connecting with people, oh, I that's, think. Well, that's really, when you said what was the surprise in my career, it's the podcast. I started to do it and I was like, well... I guess it's time because after Chelsea lately, I had, you know, right away I booked a show with Margaret Cho and it only ran for six weeks. So once that was over, I was like, well, um, I guess it's time for a podcast. Like my career is so wow. crappy. Wow. I have to be like every other stand up that honestly we kind of made fun of when we were at Chelsea lately. Oh, another podcast, you know. So I was like, okay. So I go and, um, and for a couple of weeks, I'd started to do it. I never even asked how many people were listening. Like, I didn't even want to know. I couldn't imagine because it wasn't really reflecting in my social media. So I was like, no one's even paying attention that I keep posting this, you know. And um, and then it really caught on and it's just continued to grow. And I, I love the letters I get. And I, you know, like someone saying, oh, I work out to you and I go longer on the treadmill because I, your story is engaging and you know, or they come up to me and they want to go to my VIP thing and meet me. And they're like, you know, I, I never, you know, I didn't have that with Chelsea lately. I had an incredible response from Chelsea lately, but I was only on a show for 10 minutes a night or a little funny sketch. You have really figured out, in my opinion, the business side of it. And you're definitely somebody who has figured out how to hustle and make all these different parts come together. I mean, you've got the podcast with obviously advertisers, but you're also using it as a platform to tell people to come to your live shows and you've got your books. Yeah. You figured, how did you figure out the whole business side of this stuff? I think I just, um, like looking at the more successful people ahead of me, like the pioneers of it, you know, Mark Marin and those people of doing the podcast as a comedian. And then also just going, you know, I remember when I first sat down with my first producer, he goes, do you say something? Like, do you have a catchphrase when it's coming? And I'd always say, here's some juicy scoop. Do you have some juicy scoop? And I was like, you know, and I never was embarrassed to say that I loved all that stuff. Like, I was the first one. We were the first show to do a parody of The Real Housewives of New Jersey. <laughs> like, no one was even watching it. Like, and so sometimes it, it bugs me when, you know, SNL and things like that and they're they like oh my off. god or they're even like stealing my impressions or watching my impressions to go oh I never thought to do that person or I just but I'm like so what like I can't, I'm not gonna go crazy I'm just gonna come up with something else and um in my life's you know I am a mom and I'm a married mom which is I probably I, I am the only comedian this level that's married with multiple kids 
And I did that the whole way through. Why do you through. think that is? Mostly, I think, um, because the way my life went, I was able to have this little break. And then I had a platform, thanks to Chelsea Handler, to have me open for her. And then I had a I had a hour, you know, I could be headline then. And I had a super supportive husband that didn't want to be in the, that doesn't care about being in the limelight, you know, wasn't competitive with me. And I don't know, you know, I mean, there's, there's some really great comedy couples now that I, that I love that are like married, like Natasha Legero and Moshe. And I'm like, you guys, you go be that comedy couple. Like, you know, I love it. But I think a lot of women, um, a lot of female comics, I know that, they, sometimes their their spouse or boyfriend would say, don't talk about me. You can't talk about me in your act. And then what are you going to talk about? You know? And, you know, there, there's guys that have a wife at home taking care of the kids. And they can go on the road. And the wife takes care of all that stuff. I, Peter takes care of all that stuff for me now. You know? And he has a very good business sense. So he would read the, like, I, um... I actually had a manager for many for I always had a manager and then um I just started to look at like how little they did and that they were like losing interest in me and so I said, you know, at least if Peter's my manager, if he's going to screw me, I know how he screws me. We've been together a very long time. And so um he has a you know always been really good with money finance business sense. So in that respect, I think he's really helped us kind of figure it out. And but I appreciate that you think I'm doing so amazing because I look at some of my other friends that are, you know, starring on a sitcom and getting a movie and I'm like, oh, but I, I feel like this is this has been really fun. And and it was interesting because my son said to me the other day, he's like, what did you ever think that you would do when you were younger? And I said, well, I always wanted to be an actress and a movie star. But then I thought I probably should pursue stand up because not everyone can be funny like that. There's a lot of pretty girls that can act. And I wasn't that pretty as I was. I always felt like the description when I'd read something. If it said attractive, I could go on it. If it said very attractive, I probably shouldn't bother. But I can, you know, be funny, and I knew I could impersonate people and characters. And so I said. So I always thought I'd be a stand-up, and then I said, and I always imagined writing a book from a home office, and my kids would interrupt me. And I remember when I was writing my first book, my son was like three. And on Saturdays and Sundays, I would write during the summer. And then at five o'clock, I'd be like, okay, now we'll go swimming, you know. And so he'd come in my office and he'd like drink my peach iced tea and he'd like come around my chair. And I was like, oh, I always imagined being a mom. I always wanted to be a mom. Always wanted to be a mom, which I appreciate when people don't want to be a mom. I said, that is a gift from God that you don't want to be a mother because so many women want to be and can't or their life doesn't take them there. I, I knew very, and I, even when I was like single at 27, I was going to bed, like watching Jerry Springer every night. I was like, I will be a mom even if I'm a single mom. So, Why? what was it that made you want to be a mom? What was I it just specifically love, that made you want to f- love babies? Loved babysitting. Loved watching my niece and nephews. Like I crave a baby so much now. I'm like, I wish I had like a neighbor with a baby. Do you think you'd, you'd ever have more kids? No, but I'd like to find one abandoned on a walk. Aww. And then I would say, well, I didn't. Re- I didn't try to have a baby and I didn't go get a baby <laughs> that then turned out to be awful. I will, I took this path on a walk and I found one. So I need to take it home. But I don't, but now with everybody dropping them off at the fire departments, I don't think I'm going to find one. Oh my gosh. The way I would want to find wow. one. What is something that people do not know about Heather McDonald that you've never shared? 
before. There's so little that I've never shared. It's hard to find. Um, I, I always think this is, I always think when you read those things like in the magazines, like 25 things you don't know about me, I'm like, God, I think it'll be hard for me to find three. <laughs> um, probably that I'm, I'm more sensitive than people think. Uh, my feelings do get hurt. I am getting better about it. I do have Instagram envy. So if like I'm on the road and I'm following my friends and they're all out to dinner and uh, stuff like that used to bother me. I'm getting better at it now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but That's sad. I don't like friend poaching. Do you know what friend poaching I, is? You talked about friend poaching. I don't like friend poaching. You talk about it in your in your podcast. All I am the time getting, on again. Scoop. I'm getting more mature about it. So friend poaching, just for people who <laughs> who are new to Juicy right, Scoop. Yes, friend poaching is. You know, you introduce your friend to somebody, and it's usually someone that has something to offer. Maybe they have pretty strict rules around this. They're too, either by the way. maybe they're in the business, maybe they're a TV personality, maybe they have wealth. They have something that is pretty desirable about them. And and you go, oh, Kelly, this is Melissa. And Melissa, this is Kelly, the kind of desirable person. And then I go get a drink, and then Melissa immediately is like, give me your number. She globs on. They exchange numbers. They something. And then, you know, a week later, I go on Instagram and Melissa's like, with my girl Kelly. And nobody called to invite me to the Melissa Kelly lunch. And that that has happened. It doesn't happen as much now that I've talked about it and put it out in the universe. (laughs) My rule is that if that happens, and you really do hit it off with someone that you met through someone else, have some class. Let the person, the connector, know that you connected with that person. Invite them a couple times. Yeah, you said two or three times. Two or I three, think. they should be invited. And then, hey, you guys really hit it off. I got to get over it. You know, there is something about the whole Instagram world, social media. Yes, reviews matter, and your your ability to do what you love right depends somewhat on whether people like it on whether or not they yes but i so much prefer that my success is based on regular people liking me and not three network execs who are male and are not and only attracted to male comedy and you know the thing when people talk about female and comic why there's less females in comedy and and you know we've never had it better and it's also never been a worse time in history to be a white straight male so let's just pray for them okay (laughs) because i tell my kids that all the time (laughs) I go, never in history has it been worse for you as a white straight male. So that being said, you know, the the playing field is leveling as much as it could. It's evolving. But the reason it is like that is because men were put in the positions of saying yes to comedy and entertainment. And just like you're, you're attracted to my podcast because we have similar interests and you're a girl and you know what I'm talking about. They would go to a comedy club and they were attracted to the white Jewish male who was 32 years old because that's what they were. As painful as some of that stuff is, it's still, I think what you're saying is there's still an entry point for you, whereas there wouldn't have been. That's what I love because, I mean, the, the amount of times like I had to try to get an agent and I was like, do I go to, you know, this restaurant where the agents hang out and just pretend to be talking about how funny Heather McDonald is and maybe they'll hear and be interested. <laughs> did you ever do that? Um, I never did it, but I thought about it. I, you know, met a, a William Morris agent, which is my agent now, but this is many years ago. Um, 
at a party and I went, I brought my, there was this HBO workspace. I did a one woman show. I brought my big thick VHS tape for him to watch. I just, you know, and he's like, tries to make out with me and, oh. and, um, you know, and I was like, okay, well now I was all excited, you know? And so it's like, there's always, so I am grateful that I don't have to like beg and worry about the phone to ring anymore. And I don't have to worry about someone saying, well, right now we're not, they don't want your type. They, they, you know, like right now they do want a lot of ethnicity on TV, which is great, but I'm not ethnic. I'm Mm -hmm. white. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I got to make my own thing, you know, until they come running for me again. But if that's not what they're hiring, then at least there's the opportunity to make other things happen for yourself. And that is because these floodgates have opened and because everybody because the world has gotten smaller and everybody has a voice you know and so i think it's gotten a lot better because of people like roseanne and, and joan rivers that for me and i hope that i make it better for girls and i i want to you know give props to the younger male generation that they they are not as sexist they come to my i've had straight bachelor parties come to my show before a night out because they just know i'm funny so to think that you know it's not all that it's not all girls and gays that come to see me straight men like me too and and they don't see it like that they don't see it as like that's a gay comic that's a black i mean some people do but i mean a lot less than because comedy is subjective so that's why i say it's not it's not anyone's fault that they want to give that person a show that they think that's who they think is the funniest person so that's why those people do you know, have more opportunities, but it's great that we can also make our own. What is the worst advice that you've received along the way? Oh, the worst advice I received along the way was, um, I was, I sold a show idea to CBS, um, right after like nine 11. It wasn't about nine 11. I'm just remembering the time. And I was newly married and, um, and my manager said, don't do stand-up because if somebody sees you and you, you bomb, they're going to be like, I can't believe this girl got a deal at CBS. And so I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I was just coming off like an MTV show. And that's when I should have been out every night. But I was like, okay. And like being kind of a little bit, you know, that made me a little bit lazy because stand-up is not any – I'm always happy when I'm doing it, but I'm always like – kind of dreading before I do it like I'm, it's like working out like I'm always like Ugh. but then when I'm on the stage I love it love it after feel great can't sleep but sometimes before I don't want to do it so if someone tells me don't do it I'm like all right like there's been times I've been like oh my god can the club call and say that it burned down tonight and you know I just there's times I just don't want to do it so um that was bad advice I think that you should never stop doing your craft you should never take a break from it you should always stay out there and so for actors or comedians that are in between gigs that, you know, they should be doing it. But while they're on, while they have their steady gig, they should still try to, if, if they want to keep doing stand-up, they should still try to get up there once in a while just so it doesn't become so foreign to them. Because once you don't do stand-up for like a couple months, it, you, it feels weird. And what happens if you do bomb? Are there repercussions for that? Just in your own head. I don't think people... Yeah, I mean, I do tell people, because everyone wants to put their stand-up immediately on YouTube the minute they do it. And one of the good advice I got way back when is someone said, after my great set, after my stand-up little recital, somebody gave me an agent's number, and I called him, and somehow I got him on the the phone, and he was a good agent. And I 
And I, he said, um, I go, well, I mean, I had a really good set. So, like, I think I need to start going out on things and stuff. And he goes, listen, nobody in the industry should see you for at least two years. So don't be having showcases and don't be sending tapes out to people for at least two years. And I thought, two years? I'll be 25 by then. I'll be so old. What are you talking about? And, you know, I try to tell young kids that, too. I know the first thing you want to do is put it on YouTube and Instagram and everything. But if someone sees that and you're not funny, like, I'll... I remember people that weren't funny, and then three years later, I go, this person again, and oh my God, they were great. But if I was the executive that saw them three years ago, I'd be like, no, we're not having them read for this part. So I do think um, that's my advice, too, is don't be so eager to put it out there until you really have something good. And even if you think it's good, even though, and I one time said to my manager, I go, they said, oh, you know, someone came to see me, but they didn't want to represent me, the agent, and the manager's like, um, sorry about that. I go, well, then I don't know what to do because that was the best set of my life and I'm never going to get better than that. And I remember she said, Heather, don't ever say that. You will always continue to get better. And I have like my standup special that came out like two and a half years ago. Netflix. Yeah. I thought that's the best. And I look at it now and I'm like, my standup is so much better now. And I'm, you know, and I like where it's gone and I like, you know, I sometimes don't even really like watching it that, that, you know, from being a few years ago, even though people liked it. So I think that's the other thing is you think, oh, this is the best. This was perfect. I didn't stumble once. I got laughs all the way through. You know, you'll continue to get better. So, and I think every comic can attest to that for sure, which is why people continue to do it so much, even when they're huge stars. You know, Dave Chappelle, you know, coming back, doing his specials. It's great. It's amazing. He is. Heather McDonald, you're amazing. I really appreciate no, you, you coming here. Thank you. Heather McDonald, host of The Juicy Scoop. Check it out if you haven't already listened. And our No Limits entrepreneur this week was nominated by No Limits listener Rachel Gilman Rischel. Gabrielle Martinez is co-founder and managing partner of Agency EA. She was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. She was exposed to entrepreneurship early on because her family ran a Mexican restaurant and she learned all about small business ownership. After graduating from college, she initially pursued a law degree, but ultimately realized that her passion was elsewhere and began working in the catering business, something that was familiar to her from childhood. She quickly expanded her services to full-scale event planning, and then in 1999, she and her husband launched Event Architects, or Agency EA, which is a full-service brand experience agency specializing in event and experiential marketing. They help to tell the story of a brand, and they bring the message of the brand to life and connect the brand with their target audience. Under Gabrielle's leadership, Agency EA has continued growth over the last 18 years. They've partnered with brands like Hilton Worldwide, Facebook, Google, Twitter, General Electric, Target, Under Armour. There's a lot of them. Congratulations to Gabrielle Martinez for being our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week. And thank you to her colleague and friend, Rachel Gilman Rischel, for the nomination. We love hearing from you. Sincerely, I'm loving reading over your emails, loving hearing about all of your stories out there. So make sure to keep sending them. If you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as the Entrepreneur of the Week, send me your nomination to No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. That's No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. And remember, we're going to start answering your career questions here on the show. So send those to us too. If you got a question, something that's burning, maybe you hate 
hate your boss. Maybe you want to change careers. Maybe you need a raise, a promotion. Email me. Let me know what your question is, and we're going to put you on the show. No limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. It really does help to spread the word. And you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat at Rebecca Jarvis. And join the conversation using the hashtag No Limits. Quite original, I know. And thanks so much to the team here at ABC who makes this happen week after week. Taylor Dunn, Michelle Bancardo, Annie Osakwe, Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Hecht, Andrew Kelb, and Steve Jones here at ABC Radio. Have a great week, everyone. Take care. Today's episode of No Limits was brought to you by Blue Apron. Incredible ingredients make incredible meals. That's why Blue Apron partners with a community of over 150 artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, sustainable fisheries, and responsible ranchers across the United States. Thanks to these partnerships, Blue Apron is able to deliver fresh, seasonal, perfectly portioned ingredients with easy-to-follow recipes right to your door for under $10 per meal. Log in each week to select the recipes you want to cook or let Blue Apron choose based on your food preferences. With Blue Apron, there's no weekly commitment, so you get the deliveries when you want them. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. When you cook with Blue Apron, you bring the best ingredients to your table while developing a sustainable food system for future generations. Join the growing community of Blue Apron home chefs today and get your first three Blue Apron meals free, plus free shipping at blueapron.com slash no limits. That's blueapron.com slash no limits. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.